Well, again, good morning. Uh, this summer, we are in our summer series called Encounters with Jesus, um, and it's pretty self-explanatory. We're looking at different encounters uh, that Jesus had with people in the Gospels. And so we've looked at several accounts and beginning to get a glimpse of the fact that Jesus encounters all different kinds of people um, in the Gospels, rich, poor, men, women, um, people who are diseased, sick, uh, people who are blind. Uh, Last week, we even saw that Jesus encountered those who were demon-possessed. And so this week, we're going to continue looking at the people that Jesus encountered. And what we see um, this week is that Jesus encountered a group called the scribes and the Pharisees. In fact, they're all over the Gospels. Jesus is constantly kind of running into this group uh, described as the scribes and the Pharisees. And so this morning, I want to look closer at who these uh, scribes and Pharisees are. And then um, we're going to kind of use that to set the table and help us understand what it is that Jesus uh, wants them to understand. And then really the second half, after we've kind of set the table, uh, I think um, is going to be a little bit different in that we want God to really just kind of We want to receive, I think, what the Lord has for us from this passage this morning. So we're going to do that kind of in an attitude and a posture of prayer. And I'll explain more about that when we get to it. But just to set the table, let's begin with this question. Who are the scribes and the Pharisees? Who are they? Um, Now, if you grew up uh, in the church or if you've uh, read the Bible, if you're familiar with the Gospels, um, you probably have at least an impression uh, of the Pharisees, and it's probably a very bad impression, right? The Pharisees in Scripture um, have kind of been brought forward into our modern day, and we usually actually just equate Pharisee, the word, uh, with hypocrite. Um, and so we'll talk more about that in just a few minutes, how that kind of has emerged. But Pharisees, I think it's important to remember, whatever our impressions of them are, was that scribes and Pharisees were a critical part of Jew- Jewish culture in Jesus' day a critical part of kind of the structure of what was happening in everyday life for even the most everyday person. Uh, The scribes, for example, were the experts on the law. And so all of life kind of centered around the Torah, God's instructions for how to live life as his people. And so these were the experts, right? The the instructors, the teachers, the interpreters of the law, the scribes. And, And This role that they had and the responsibility they had, it overlapped significantly with this group called the Pharisees. There were a lot of similarities among the groups. But the Pharisees are are a distinct group uh, in the Gospels. And uh, I think most of the time they're kind of thought of or referred to as this kind of sect, S-E-C-T, sect within Judaism, right? They're this kind of subgroup, uh, uh, religious group um, within the broader orthodoxy of Judaism at the time. And I think that actually is, is, is misleading and it's unhelpful to think of them in those terms because the reality is that the Pharisees were much more like a kind of socio-political religious group in their day. So just by way of analogy, it might be helpful to think in our own context of the term evangelical. So at one point, evangelical was restricted to a particular understanding and way of living out the Christian life, right? But now evangelical actually gets imported into all kinds of different contexts and social contexts and political contexts. So it's not just limited to a quote unquote religious group, if that makes sense. So the Pharisees are kind of like that. They function that way in their culture. And as they function, they have social and cultural and political influence, and the reason they have that is because they're known for their intense dedication 
uh, to God's teaching, to the Torah, and to the, the myriad of traditions and rules that they have developed. And most of those rules, you encounter this in the, as you read the Gospels, most of those rules have to do with things uh, around food and kind of purity, remaining clean versus unclean. And so the Pharisees, um, I love what Dale Bruner, he's a, a commentator on Matthew, the way he describes them is they are the quote-unquote serious. They are the serious. Every time he encounters the Pharisees in the Gospels, Bruner translates that as the serious because that's exactly what they are. They are incredibly serious about their faith, very serious about their faith. And so it's this super serious group uh, that Jesus Uh, is speaking to here in Matthew 23. And as he encounters them, he acknowledges this super serious aspect of their faith, right? Look at what he says. If you want to open up your Bibles in Matthew 23 or on your Bible app on your phone, look at Matthew 23, the first few verses there. Because Jesus says to the crowds and to his apprentices who have gathered there, he says this about the scribes and the Pharisees. He says, uh, he says, listen to them because they have the, sit, the seat of Moses. They sit in the seat of Moses. That's an idiom basically that kind of says, look, this is the teaching authority within this culture. And they sit in that seat, the seat of Moses. They possess the authority to teach. So you should do, you should do whatever they teach you to do is what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 2. So Jesus affirms that they're serious. He affirms their commitment to teaching the law, to instructing them in the ways of God. But that's where his affirmation stops, right? That's all he can affirm about them. Because he goes on to tell his apprentices, his, his followers and this crowd that's gathered there, that they should listen and follow what the Pharisees and scribes say. But then what does he say? He says, listen and do what they say, but don't do what they do, right? Don't do what they do. Don't do the works they do, Jesus says, for they preach, but they do not practice. And then he goes on to listen, list all these kind of ways, uh, these examples, right, of, of the ways that they kind of act this out. They, they act out publicly uh, this so-called belief that they have, their religion, their seriousness, but there's a disconnect within the privacy of their own hearts. And so Jesus says this disconnect between the inside and the outside, it doesn't uh, invalidate the truth of the scriptures, right? He's affirming that. What it invalidates is their position of authority as teachers and interpreters of God's word. And so Jesus is making it very clear uh, that this, uh, this is a big problem, this disconnect between the inside and the outside. And it leads Jesus to use a very particular word here in Matthew 23, and he uses it over and over and over and over again. He says it seven times in the course of uh, just a few verses. Anybody want to take a guess at what he calls them? What's the word he calls them? Hypocrites. Hypocrites, hypocrites, hypocrites. In case they miss it, he says it seven times. You are hypocrites, is what he calls them. Um, this term, it, it comes out of, uh, of a Greek word that had to do with acting. So if you were to go to a Greek play in, uh, in ancient Greece, uh, what you would do is you sat in your seat, you would look up on the stage and you would see a stage full of hypocrites, right? The stage would be full of hypocrites. You would go backstage and you would get an autograph from your favorite hypocrite, right? Because hypocrite in that context, what it meant was someone who portrays someone other than who they are with a mask, 
That's what the root of the word is. And so by Jesus' time, that word had taken on a fuller meaning so that Jesus is actually using that term here because he wants to communicate that these people, these Pharisees are pretending, they're acting, they're putting on a mask. They are not who they appear to be. And so he says, you Pharisees, you are hypocrites, you are actors, you are pretenders, people who show one face to the world and yet who you are really is something very different. My, um, my three kids who are seven, seven, and four, love to wear costumes. So we have a ton of costumes. I think we have like 100 costumes in our house. And one of the ways this, this kind of works itself out is we have a tradition in our family. Uh, every birthday, we all get dressed up in our costume and we go out for breakfast, right? And so I think we have a picture. This is us at Snooze. Um, and so all our kids are dressed up. And so this is not Halloween. This is their birthday. This is Bennett's birthday in April. Uh, and so we walk into Snooze and people love it. You know, people are pointing and laughing and staring, loving and like coming up to the kids and saying how much they love their costume. And it's just, it's fun. And they love it too. They love going and eating breakfast in their costumes. And they love it because they love to pretend. Now, it's one thing if you're a kid, right? And you're, and you're wearing a costume out uh, for breakfast on your birthday. Um, and the difference, though, is when we grow up, we don't really wear costumes. Hopefully, we don't wear costumes, although I think I have a picture. Yeah, sometimes we wear costumes, like at Halloween, like a trunk or treat this year. We wear, and that's not Bennett, that's Yoda. Um, so, so, yeah, so... But when we get up, when we grow up, when we become older, right, we don't, we don't wear costumes, except for maybe Halloween. We don't wear costumes out and about. But here's what I think we still do. We still like to pretend, right? We carry over that dynamic of, of pretending, of putting on a mask in one way or another. And we all do it. We all do it to varying degrees and varying ways. Um, we even have language that, that describes this phenomenon. So um, one of the ones that came to mind is that we say this, uh, I think, a lot. We uh, put on a good face. I know it's hard, but just put on a good face. And what do we mean by that? We mean make it look like you're okay, but really on the inside, you're, you're not okay. But put on, put on a face. Pretend. Put on a mask. And we do this in deeper, more profound ways in our lives. We pretend uh, because there's parts of our lives that we don't want others to see. There's aspects uh, rooted in shame or in fear or in our pride. And we hide. We hide those things from the world outside and from people outside. Our, our lives outside tell one story, but maybe there's a totally different story going on. The face we put on when we come here on a Sunday morning may communicate one thing but the reality of what we're dealing with on the inside could be something radically different. And so the reality is that we're all prone to this, um, this phenomenon where we pretend, we hide, we play the part, even the part of a good religious person, just like the Pharisees. There's another word that Jesus repeats here again and again, and it's the word woe, W-O-E. He says, woe seven times here to the Pharisees. And the word woe isn't a word that we really use all that much, uh, but it's an expression that carries with it this sense of grief on the one hand and judgment. It's kind of a mashup of those two words. Um, it could be literally translated as, oh no, watch out. That, there's kind of that sense, like you encountered something that's terrible, that's, that's, that's dark, that's, that's not okay, and there's a warning that comes with that. You call out, woe. Jesus says, woe to the Pharisees, and it's meant to stop them. 
to stop them in their tracks. Woe to you Pharisees, you scribes, you hypocrites. And so Jesus uses these words and following these words, this word of woe are some of the harshest words that Jesus has for anybody in the gospels. And we're gonna read those words in just a few minutes. We stopped just short of that because I wanna read through them uh, woe by woe together. Um, But it's really incredible because Jesus speaks these harsh words and they're not harsh to be cruel. His goal is not to be cruel or unkind to the Pharisees. His desire is for them to, to stop and to pay attention to what they're doing and how they're living a life of pretense because it's toxic. And he wants them to understand just how toxic it is to pretend and to fake. Um, I once heard a story from another pastor about a World War II pilot who was shot down uh, and the Germans captured him and put him in a prison camp. And while he was in the prison camp, somehow he came across the the information that if you uh, were deemed insane, the Nazis might be willing to trade you back to the allies, to release you back to your home country. And so he devised a plan where he was going to pretend to be insane. Um, But pretending to be insane in a prison camp requires you to be insane 24-7 because they're watching you 24-7. So he began to take on any behavior he could that made him look insane to the point that they arranged for a psychological evaluation of uh, his mental state and they determined that he was indeed insane. He fooled them completely. And so they sent him back to Great Britain and uh, when he came back, they were told that he was insane. So that's why they were sending him back. And as he came back, they evaluated him again because of this information they had. And actually when they evaluated him, what they determined was that he was insane. They too determined that he was actually insane and they sent him to an asylum. And the reality is that he had pretended to be something for so long, he had actually become that thing, right? He'd actually become insane. Now, lest you think this is just a convenient illustration, yeah, is that that really true? Because I don't know if it's true. But it's a great illustration, and I do think it's true. And to make that point, July 2010, the Journal of Clinical and Experimental Neuropsychology, which I read all the time, um, (laughs) published research that shows the power of self-deception to shape our view of ourselves in the world. And this is what they determined. They found that when people fake something for long enough, even though at first they know it's a lie, they know it's not true, it's fake, they're pretending, right? Even though they know it's a lie, eventually they come to believe the lie themselves, right? See, Jesus, he knows how dangerous it is to pretend when it comes to God. He knows how dangerous it is to pretend when it comes to God. And he says, woe to you hypocrites. And if hypocrisy is Jesus' diagnosis, then the seven woes, subsequent woes that he gives, reveal the symptoms of hypocrisy in the lives of the Pharisees. And these seven woes were warnings about what to look for, right? What to look for in your life. Warnings for the Pharisees, and I think warnings for us. Warnings for us this morning. Because here's the truth. Every single one of us is susceptible to hypocrisy. All of us are. Um, The reality is that Jesus here um, makes it abundantly clear that people actually who take their faith very seriously are more susceptible to hypocrisy. 
And this passage in, in particular actually makes it really clear that people who are teachers and leaders in the church, preachers and pastors are the most susceptible to hypocrisy. And so this woe that he gives us is for all of us, not just for these Pharisees. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to shift gears a little bit because what I want to do is I want to to go through these woes together as a church family. Um, And so if you're you're visiting with us this morning, um, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable or or awkward about this. But what we're going to do is we're going to kind of enter into the rest of this time as kind of in a posture of prayer is what I want to encourage you to do. And so you can close your eyes, you can look at the floor, you can just sit there and look at me, however you want to do that. But what we're going to do is kind of take a look at each one of these woes, and I'm going to just offer a few words of meditation to kind of help us get our heads around what is it that Jesus is actually warning us against. And then I want us to just take a few moments, it won't be a long time, but maybe just like 30 seconds or something, just of silence on the other side of that, to allow God to be at work in our hearts And to just give us the space to consider, maybe this is a warning to me. And as we do this, I want you to understand that this this is about God being present and speaking to us and revealing to us what we need to hear. Um, It's not about keeping up shame or guilt, um, because this is going to be intense, right? I think this will be intense, what God wants to do through this. But I don't think it it should not be defeating. We shouldn't leave here feeling way down and depressed and defeated. What we should leave <clears throat> is feeling grateful because in our midst, what God I think wants to do is free us from the power of self-deception. That's what God wants to do with us this morning. So we don't just gloss over this passage and think, oh yeah, well, he really stuck it to those Pharisees. But we actually say, oh, maybe God has a word for me here this morning. So my prayer is that this would be a gift to you. So again, what we'll do, I'll read the woe. I'll give a few words of just kind of meditation on that. Um, and then just invite you into a place of silence just to reflect on that. And then we'll just work our way through the woe. So just let's just begin with prayer and just ask God to kind of lead us through this process together. Father, we, we thank you again that you are... Um, with us this morning and that you long to speak to us. And Lord, that um, may be new for for us, the idea that you would actually speak to us personally uh, on a Sunday morning. But Lord, that's what we long for and that's what we expect. And so I just pray that, that through your words here to these Pharisees, these warnings that you give out of your love for them and longing for them, um, to give up a life of pretense and to weed out those places where they're their outside and their inside don't match up. Lord, that you would do that work in our own hearts. And so, Lord, give us just the, the humility and the freedom and the ability to be honest with you and ourselves as we, as we enter into this together. Lord, that we would receive this as a gift from you. Jesus, you said how often you long to gather your children as a hen gathers a brood under her wings. So we just long for that, that by your grace, that you would help us to be drawn to you, to hear from you, to see ourselves rightly, to receive all that you have for us, the forgiveness and the healing you long to give us. The first woe. Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, 
For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. The Pharisees' commitment and seriousness about their faith caused them to create barriers to God for others. They raised the bar so high with so many rules and traditions, they created a wall between God and people. So much so that many believed they could never be good enough to enter God's kingdom. But Jesus says we enter the kingdom of God, not by what we have done, but what he has done for us. We enter by faith. We enter by grace. The Pharisees thought they didn't need Jesus or God's grace, so they failed to show grace to others. They shut the door to God in people's faces. One of the marks of hypocrisy is an unwillingness to show grace, an unwillingness to forgive. Do we know God's grace? Do we show God's grace? If we withhold grace to others, we have closed them and ourselves off from the gift of God's grace. So Lord, this morning we ask that you would help us to see our own need for your forgiveness so that we might freely give that which we have received. So Lord, now, even now, I pray that you would bring to mind anyone in our lives from which we are withholding grace. Lord, that you would help us to forgive. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. The Pharisees were proud people. They thought they had secured God's favor by their own works, by their knowledge of the scriptures, and by their unparalleled commitment to keeping God's covenant law. The truth is their lives were duplicitous. And by inviting others to follow in their footsteps, they were actually leading people away from God. Leading a double life is exhausting. And it's not only exhausting, it's toxic for us and for others in our lives. Our duplicity can make others question if there is any real power to the gospel. It can cause them to doubt or even dismiss Jesus. Jesus, we want our whole lives to be a witness for you. We want to be people becoming more and more like you in every area of our lives. So Lord, if there are areas of our lives where we have yet to submit to you, to let you reign as our Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to those places. Or maybe it's our spending habits, or time management, Maybe it's online or TV habits or our phone use. 
Maybe it's relationships, friendships, parenting, marriage. Maybe it's in the area of our sexuality or use of alcohol, prescription medication. Or maybe it's imagination. Lord, we pray we would give all these things to you our whole lives. That you'd be glorified in our lives. That you'd use our lives to draw others to yourself. Jesus said, Woe to you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools. Jesus accuses the Pharisees of blindness. They're blind because their own complicated interpretations of scripture cause them to miss the very heart of God. So Jesus warns that knowing and understanding God's word can sometimes be motivated by pride and not by love. We too can become like the Pharisees, believing that if we know enough, if we're experts on the Bible or theology, or maybe that we believe our particular tradition or our worship style or our way of doing ministry is is the right way or even the only way. It can cause us to look down on others and become increasingly critical. So Jesus, we simply ask that you, even now, would reveal in us any critical or judgmental spirit or attitude. Jesus, that you would root out pride in our hearts. And remind us of your generous patience and your love and your grace towards us. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Jesus warns the Pharisees against obsessing about the less important at the cost of the critically important. They're so fixated on tithing that they're careful to tithe all the way down to their herbs and spices. Tithing is important, but Jesus says not at the cost of loving your neighbor. In other words, Jesus says you can't claim to love God and not love your neighbor. If you love God, your devotion to him should express itself in your relationship with those in need around you.
So Lord, we confess that we too often make our faith just about God and me. But you said true religion is to love the widow and the orphan. Lord, you yourself showed us the way of love and it's to lay down our life for others. And so Lord, would you help us to do the same? Pray this morning that you would open our eyes and our hearts to those around us in need. That we would be a people marked by justice and mercy and faithfulness. Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus calls his followers to act, but that action must flow out of what is within. Real transformation begins with the heart. The Pharisees worked hard to appear generous and loving. But within, they were driven by their own selfish desires. They had secret, hidden sin at work within. Even though on the outside, their lives seemed beautiful. We all have secret, hidden sin. Those things that perhaps not even our closest friends or our spouse may know. Secret sin is corrosive to our souls It robs us of the joy of God's presence and the freedom from the power of sin that is ours in Christ. It riddles us with guilt and shame and fear. But no sin is secret from Jesus. He took all our sin on himself at the cross, even our secret sin, and he paid the penalty for it. And he promises that if we confess our sin to him, he will forgive us, and cleanse us. He'll cleanse us deep within from all unrighteousness. So Jesus, this morning, we may look beautiful on the outside, but some of us feel anything but beautiful on the inside. Our lives are racked with sin and guilt and we need your forgiveness And so give us the strength this morning to be honest with you. Maybe even now to silently confess before you the secret burden that is weighing us down. That we might receive your forgiveness and know that you love us.
Finally, Jesus said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. If you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers. Your serpents, you brood of vipers. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? The Pharisees' self-righteousness blinded them to what God had done and what God was doing. They attempted to co-opt and claim God's work in the past as being in line with their own. But Jesus said the truth was they were actually more in line with those who had persecuted and killed God's messengers in the past and that they were doing the same thing again by opposing him. Lord, as hard as it is to acknowledge, I pray for us as your people that you would let this terrifying possibility sink in. That we have the power within us to believe that we are aligned with your will when in reality we are working against you. That we can so easily mistake our will for yours. Lord, we need you to open our eyes. We're so often blind to our own selfish agendas, blind to our prejudice, prone to convincing ourselves that lies are truth. And so forgive us, or forgive us when as your church we justify racism or classism, materialism or any other sin. Forgive us for the blind eye we turn to the sins of our personal past. Protect us from the lies we tell ourselves. You have given us your Holy Spirit who leads us into all truth. And so we pray that you would do what we cannot do, that you would help us to see and to trust and to follow and to love you. Jesus spoke these words out of love. My guess is this morning that as we considered these words, some of them struck home for you and some of them didn't. And so what I want to encourage you to do is to take whatever God's given you this morning And to really spend some time praying and thinking. To maybe take some time and talk to someone you trust. Someone you know that loves you and loves the Lord. That can pray with you. Maybe even this morning take advantage of the fact that the prayer teams will be in the back of the room during communion. Have someone pray with you today. Jesus said these words out of love because he knows our power, our ability to deceive ourselves. And he knows the toxic price of pretending when it comes to God. Let me pray for us.
Jesus, we thank you that you love us and you long for us to be freed from the destructive power of hypocrisy and self-deception. And Lord, we need you to walk with us in this. Lord, this isn't a one-time thing. This isn't gonna change today. But Lord, we want to walk with you in this because we wanna be real. Lord, we say we wanna be a church family and that means being real with you and real with each other. It means being real with our neighbors, being real in our workplace. It means being people who are becoming more and more like you and we need you to help us do that. And so I just pray, Lord, whatever you brought to our attention today, that we would, we would not just forget that or leave that here, that you would lead us out of a place of guilt and shame, but into repentance and into healing and into wholeness. Lord, you stand ready to love us and to forgive us. You are the one who heals us outside and in. And so we thank you, we praise you that you are the God who came to us and rescued us and offered to give your very life for us. We thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. We thank you that you are with us. And we pray this in the powerful name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.